Amy Coney Barrett was jammed through the Judiciary Committee while Democrats boycotted the whole affair. Barack Obama should make his stump speech into a new Netflix stand-up comedy special. And is Chris Pratt really a Republican? Joan Summers from Jezebel breaks it down for us. The date, October 22nd, 2020. The time, music clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Uh, Casey, before we dive in, gotta say RIP to a real one, someone that we barely knew, someone who we barely understood, Quibi. <laughs> Rest in peace, Quibi. Godspeed, you tiny show episodes emperor. It is shockingly unsurprising at how fast it <laughs> failed and disappeared. Let's never forget that one of the, um, I will call it leaders of Quibi, isn't really a self-proclaimed entertainment person and their favorite show is on the History Channel about uh, President Grant. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they blew through so much money. <laughs> they blew through so much money. They got almost no promotion because they wouldn't let you screenshot their shows. Yep. So media companies couldn't cover them. But you know what? Uh, we will move on because Quibi was so short lived and so will this conversation be. Whoa, oh, wow. <laughs> that might be like the sharpest burn you've dropped in like a minute, Casey. All right. So time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. Russia is maybe back at it again with the election interference thing. But this time, Iran is allegedly joining in on the fun. We'll call it fun for now. All right, so let's backtrack a bit. During the 2016 election, thousands of Russian bots popped up on social media and peddled misinformation that favored Donald Trump. And they also targeted voting machine infrastructure in all 50 states. Robert Mueller, remember him, his investigation into the matter concluded that Russian interference was, quote, sweeping and systematic and violated U.S. criminal law. So we know Russia's tactics and how they deploy them. But now Russia and Iran have obtained voter registration data. And the Trump administration says Iran is using that information in an interesting way that hits Americans a little differently this time around. Iran has been sending menacing emails to voters in several states posing as the far-right Proud Boys, that group that the president refused to condemn at the last debate, you remember. Now, a source tells CNN that some of the data Iran obtained came from private vendor and state systems. This is the first time this election cycle a foreign adversary has been publicly accused of targeting specific voters. Now, the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, stated in a hastily organized press conference Wednesday evening. These emails were, quote, designed to intimidate voters, incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. Now, as a reminder, the emails were falsely from the Proud Boys and said things like, quote, vote for Trump or we'll come after you. So there's clearly a lot to unpack here. Meanwhile, Amy Coney Barrett's nomination for a seat on the Supreme Court has been pushed through committee by a 12-0 vote with all the Democratic representatives boycotting the roll call. Sounds Totally legitimate and normal. Everything's fine, guys. The empty Democratic seats for the vote were filled by pictures of Americans who'd be hurt if SCOTUS struck down Obamacare. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer explained why the Democrats decided to hold their boycott. Democrats will not lend a single ounce of legitimacy to this awful, awful hearing. We are voting with our feet. We are standing together. And we are standing against this unprecedented mad rush to jam through a Supreme Court nomination just days, days before an election. 
Schumer and Democrats from the Judiciary Committee were addressing supporters outside of the Capitol rather than being in the actual hearing. Now, the vote means that the entire Senate will have the chance to vote on ACB as early as next Monday, a.k.a. the week leading up to the election. And Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham was very proud of his ability to make this happen. I'll be glad to listen to any comments you'd like to make. But uh, we did it. We did it. Judge Barrett's going to the floor. Uh, I hope you look back on this uh, time on the committee and say I was there when it mattered, and you were. And finally, former President Barack Obama is hitting the campaign trail for his guy, Joe Biden, and he laid into how different Joe and Trump are at a rally in Philadelphia, but also sort of felt like a really good comedy set. Obama commented on how Trump didn't take the job seriously at all, and can we just discuss the magical timing of this line he unleashed about retweeting conspiracy theories? You'll be able to go about your lives knowing that the president is not going to retweet conspiracy theories about secret cabals running the world or, or that Navy SEALs didn't actually kill bin Laden. Think about that. The president of the United States retweeted that. Imagine. What? What? Or this one about the New York Times recent report that Trump's company has a secret Chinese bank account. Can you imagine if I had had a secret Chinese bank account? When I was running for re-election, you think, you, think you think Fox News might have been a little concerned about that? They would have called me Beijing Barry. You can find Obama's entire set, I mean, campaign speech on C-SPAN, and it really is worth your time. I, it's, it was so funny. I sent it to so many people. <laughs> I think it's the breaking in his voice for me, you know? Yes, his indignant little squad. <laughs> it, it, it just, his voice up pitches when he's just so amazed at what he's actually having to recount to the people. It's it's beautiful. And it is, if you actually watch it, because here when we were listening, you could hear like the pauses he had, but in those pauses, it's those, it is those indignant, like, is everyone, is everyone on the same page as me? Do you hear what I'm hearing? Like, it's just like, uh-huh. it, it's wild and I love it. It's, uh, it is what I needed this week. So I'm going to say something controversial okay. right now. Okay. Donald Trump also has good comedic timing in his rallies. I know, I know you're just going to disagree with me, but be, beneath all of, you know, the vitriol, the vile lies, all of that, beneath all of that, he can tell a joke and it lands with the people who's listening to it. He has a setup, he has a punchline. As long as he can keep that train of thought going long enough to get there, he can do it. And I, I know it's controversial. I, I would love to have watched them like, 15 years ago when Trump was a bit more together doing like a last comic standing special, (laughs) you know, just really going at it against each other. Um, Okay. I do have a question about um, the ACB nomination. What does the Democrats boycotting do? So technically nothing. Okay. That's what it felt like. If I'm going to be honest. For a little bit there, it looked like it might be a situation where if the Democrats were just not present in the room, they might have to reschedule the vote. But the Republicans were like, nah, according to Senate rules, as long as we have the quorum in the room, a majority of people here, they need all 12 of the Republicans to be there for this to work. Like, nah, we're all here. 
we have the quorum. We are going to hold this vote and it's fine under Senate rules. So so is there anything that the Democrats can actually do to stop this from happening? The best that they could do is there are some like wild parliamentary procedure tricks they could do to delay things to potentially uh, push this back all the way until like after the election. But I don't see that really happening. The most likely scenario for that would be if, say, the Senate has a lot of votes that they are supposed to have, but are usually just waved away by unanimous consent. Do I have unanimous consent to no objection? OK, we're going to move forward. But if you force a vote on every one of those things or say, I don't think we have a quorum, let's do a quorum check. So we have to have everyone come in and say, I am here so that we can actually keep going. And if there isn't a quorum, everything shuts down. So there are tricks they can pull, but nothing to actually keep her from uh, actually being seated. You know? Mm, Gotcha. Yeah. So sorry to be a disappointment (laughs) there. All right. So, Casey, can you get me up to speed, though, on what's happening in the entertainment world? Oh, I can, Hayes. So Shonda Rhimes has finally revealed why she left ABC for Netflix back in 2017. And apparently it all boiled down to a single Disneyland pass, a serious snub from a network executive. In a new interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Rhimes explained that as part of her contract with the network, she had negotiated all-inclusive passes to the theme park for herself and her family. But when she called to ask for another pass for her sister, they gave her a hard time about it, but eventually gave her a pass that didn't even work. When she called an executive to try to sort things out, she was told, quote, don't you have enough already? Keep in mind that at this point, Rhymes had already made the company somewhere around $2 billion, and all she was asking for was a $154 ticket. Rhymes says her relationship with ABC was already on shaky ground, with the network constantly pushing back over budgets and trying to tone down the content of her shows. So it wasn't the first offense, but it was the last. She said after the conversation, she collected herself, called her lawyer, and told them she was moving to Netflix. She went on to ink a $150 million deal, one of the biggest in streaming history. Wow. Uh, Way to drop the ball, Disney. Good job. Yeah, you know, as um, a TV writer and podcast host, Camilla Blackett um, said on Twitter, this might seem petty, but would an exec do that to a white showrunner? I don't know. Mm, That's a great question. Yeah, on the one hand, she's making a lot of money. She can afford the ticket, but it's not about the price. The price is not what we're talking about here. It's the disrespect. It's the disrespect. And it's also, okay, if it wasn't in her contract, okay, yes, petty. It was specifically put into her contract. It was put in there for a reason. She signed it for a reason. And to be like, don't you already have enough? I mean, that is truly wild when she was making almost $2 billion for them. You know what? Yeah. Well, I'm glad she got the $150 million deal. She deserves it. Right. Agreed. (laughs) When we come back, an investigation. Is Chris Pratt a Republican and do we even care? We're talking with Jezebel's Joan Summers. Stay right there. SheFit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. 
it's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. The NFL Podcast Network is your home for all things football. Do you love hearing analysis around the league with a touch of mirth? Or maybe you enjoy breaking down X's and O's in the college scouting scene. Do you breathe, sleep, and eat fantasy football? Perhaps you love the funny headlines that emerge each week. What if you want in-depth news coverage with reporters? Or what if you want to know exactly how each team got its name? Well, you're in luck because the NFL Podcast Network has a show for everybody. Our vast network has the NFL's best talent bringing you right into the action each week. There's always room to add more football into your podcast rotation, and our vast group of shows will surely keep you up to date with everything you need to know surrounding the National Football League. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. First in the pages of the magazine, then on SI.com, and now that tradition continues on a new podcast. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. We'll ask the questions that we're all wondering and push for the answers we all want. Everything from investigating the Super Bowl's impact on L.A. to examining why booing is as big a part of the fan experience as cheering. Sports Illustrated Weekly is here to bring you the entertaining tales you can't get anywhere else. The kinds of stories that make you smile and laugh, clap and cry, marvel, think, and fall in love with sports all over again. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now. Welcome back. It's a question philosophers have pondered for ages. Which Hollywood Chris is the best Chris? It's a topic that was heavily discussed on Twitter this weekend, and while there was no clear winner... Everyone pretty much decided Chris Pratt was the worst. Joining us now to talk about what exactly went down is Jezebel writer Joan Summers, who's done so much research on this. We could just call her a Chris historian at this point. Hello, Joan. <laughs> Hi, it's so nice to be here. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Great. So first, for anyone who doesn't know, the Chris's in question are Pratt, Pine, Evans, and Hemsworth. A tweet went viral yes. this weekend featuring all four saying one has to go, and people overwhelmingly gave Pratt the boot, mostly because people think he's secretly conservative but won't admit it. But Joan, it seems like Pratt hasn't made many overtly political declarations. You did a deep dive for Jezebel. What did you find? I am Jezebel's resident gossip historian, and so I want to start off with my interest in this came about a lot because of the Twitter hubbub, obviously. But I was initially looking into this story because like maybe some people on Twitter missed in the commotion around who is the best Chris, there was an Instagram post from Chris that went viral uh, like a week ago, I would say, in which he urged his fans heart-wrenchingly, passionately, so full of emotion to go and vote 
for a movie of his in the People's Choice Awards. And everyone was Uh, like, this is a weird joke to make in an election year, right? And Mm -hmm. so that post got a little bit of traffic. And then a week later, this Twitter moment came about and everyone started wondering, what's happening with Chris? And so, yeah, I think let's start with the fact that Chris Pratt has not been a very political person in his uh, tenure in Hollywood. I would say it's been over a decade now since Parks and Recreation uh, premiered on NBC. Uh, But yeah, so the thing that's really interesting to note here, I think at the top is um, a lot of us on Twitter saw, as I'm sure you guys saw, the fact that people were saying, why do we care if our celebrities are political? Why does this matter? Why do we need Chris to say, like, am I voting Republican or Democrat? And I think I want to start with saying my research into this doesn't really detail whether it's a moral thing for him to be conservative or Democrat. Truthfully, I don't care because I don't need Chris Pratt to be an activist. I don't particularly care to hear what some rich Hollywood white actor has to say about our political moment we're living through, especially one with as much money as he does. But what's really interesting to me is because he hasn't made a lot of statements, he's become kind of this focal point for our anxieties about what a modern white Trump voting conservative looks like, right? He has these like vaguely country aesthetics that he holds to. He really likes guns and the U.S. military. He's an action star. He is from, you know, middle America, as people tend to call it. And so he's kind of become this, like, projection, and I was really interested in that. So in my research, I found that, like, you know, he doesn't really say much, and when he does say something, it's not saying much. Um, So it's really interesting. You know, he's kind of this, like, blatant canvas for Twitter at large and all the rest of us to kind of just throw our anxieties onto or our projections about people that look like Chris Pratt. Right. Well, Chris also, though, Chris Pratt, gotta clarify my Chris's here. Chris Pratt also attends the very fashionable and also highly controversial Hillsong Church. What are people assuming about him based on the fact that he goes there? Yeah, so that's a really interesting point, right? Because in all of this about, you know, Chris Pratt doesn't have a lot of politics, it's almost, I would say, the fact that uh, going to Hillsong Church is too many, a political statement. It is a church that has been called out numerous times over the years for homophobic teachings and practices, gay members of Hillsong Church here in LA, as well as Hillsong spinoff church, Zoe Church, which is what Chris Pratt and his wife, Katherine Schwarzenegger, attend. They have all been called out by actual gay members that used to attend or still attend for their teachings, for the fact that they have exclusionary beliefs about gay people, and the fact that, by and large, LGBTQ plus people are not welcomed in those spaces by these people. This came about because of Ellen Page in 2019. Uh, He had a late show appearance with Stephen Colbert, and he talked about some religious fasting that he was doing. And on a clip of his appearance, Ellen Page retweeted and said, uh, isn't his church homophobic, right? And that's kind of stuck. People suddenly associate Hillsong with homophobia. I think the Hillsong thing, especially now, is just a really sore subject for people, and rightfully so, you know? We have Justin Bieber is also a member of the church, and that constantly gets brought up with him and his wife, Haley Baldwin, um, you know, about this church and the fact that so many celebrities go and never quite address the fact that there's so many allegations against it. Right. So you, a second ago, you mentioned Chris Pratt's second wife, Miss Schwarzenegger. He married into this double political dynasty. And yes. she's been pretty vocal about how she feels about the president, right? 
Yes. So Katherine Schwarzenegger has come out in recent weeks and said that she does not appreciate Donald Trump. She can't understand his supporters, that she is not voting for Donald Trump. And, you know, she had this whole Instagram post where she kind of went through, I think, vaguely the fact that she is obviously the daughter of one of California's most hated Republican governors. You know, she said, as someone who can understand both sides of the political spectrum, obviously she was raised Republican, she does not support Trump and won't be voting for him. And so, you know, we have his wife, at least on record, saying that she won't vote for Trump. But that doesn't, I think, necessarily mean that he won't be either. And I think that's where everyone's really interested in this, you know, like, well, obviously we know that she's not, but he hasn't said anything. And he's actually made a point not to say anything. I will say as a gossip person, you know, I noted how fast her uh, Instagram announcement that she won't be voting for Trump happened like days after Chris mm. Pratt got called out on Twitter. Mm. You know, it was just an interesting, uh, <laughs> just a interesting, interesting set of events. Mm. Yeah, just it, it just it was a wildly coincidental, <laughs> completely interesting happenstance. Okay, so if you had to call it, though, where do you think Chris Pratt falls politically? You know what? So I came to this conclusion, too, in my research that, you know, I can't say that Chris Pratt is necessarily a Republican boogeyman like many want him to be. But I would also say that he is probably a very, in my own opinion, ill-informed political actor. I think he is an extremely rich white celebrity living in a town that is notoriously insular, both politically and personally. And, you know, just like the space that Chris Pratt inhabits uh, is probably overwhelmingly conservative, I would say, in his tax bracket. And I think he is probably a very impressionable person and has a lot of people around him who make a lot of money and also have the opinions of wealthy conservatives. And he has absorbed that. I mean, on Instagram, he follows Madison Cawthorn. He follows Ben Shapiro. He follows Turning Points USA. He follows these like Republicans who aren't just like, you know, the faces of it, like Ben Shapiro, but like weird niche senators. And so like, I look at all this and I say, yeah, I can see him being conservative, but I don't think he uh, understands probably why he would be called a conservative. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Hollywood being insular, Pratt has a lot of celebrity defenders, including Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. People are upset on two fronts that uh, Ruffalo and Downey didn't defend Brie Larson against sexist attacks or playing Captain Marvel with the same level of oomph. And uh, more relevantly here, saying that Pratt is not being held to the same standard as other female celebrities who were called out for the silence, i.e. Taylor Swift. Do you think there's a double standard there? You know, I would say that I can definitely see that there is a double standard at work within Disney and Marvel itself. You know, it was extremely glaring, the, like, total, complete wagon circling around Chris Pratt from everyone from, you know, other noted conservative Robert Downey Jr. to his other co-stars. And then what happened with Brie Larson? You know, I mean, like, we all watched that happen on Twitter and they didn't, she didn't get, like, you know, glowing Instagram posts about how she was, like, a hero to the actors and actresses of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think that in that sense, there is a double standard. They're interested, I would say, mostly in being political actors when it is 
beneficial to them, both politically and monetarily, you know, like they'll get behind the causes uh, when they need a check or when they don't want to get dropped from a project. But like in their everyday personal lives, are they writing op-eds to Brie Larson or Kelly Marie Tran about what good people they are and how deserving they are of their places? I think I expected Robert Downey Jr. and them to say something, but it was the like exasperated, like breathy like oh my god our hero has fallen we must protect him like that was really what got me yeah not like (laughs) uh, yeah it was really that I think that really affected people the most and was really shocking to people the most because again it shows that you know I would say especially for people like Robert Downey Jr they have like a vested class interest in protecting people like Chris because it could be them next Another point here is with everything going on in the world, do celebrities have an option to stay silent? Is backlash not only expected, but deserved? I would say I struggle with this. Like I I struggle with this question almost constantly. I think it is our engagement with these celebrities feels less worth it when their politics don't reflect ours. And so it is important, I think, for us and for celebrities to know where everyone stands. Um, And I think it is probably most important for celebrities to obscure where they stand because then things like this happen, right? And it threatens their jobs, it threatens their livelihoods, and they are probably terrified of that. So, but finally, Joan, we need to know before we let you go, which Chris do you think is the best Chris? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll just say, <laughs> I'll say that, uh, I think we should do away with men named Chris entirely. No, if that's I want to be super question. inflammatory. No, Joan, you, you can't do it. Uh, can't do it. Pick oh, a Chris. Oh, yeah. Three um, options up apparently. So. Yeah. But Hayes, why didn't you give us Christina Ricci? And why didn't you give us Christina Ricci? Okay, but no, we're talking about the three men Chrises here, Joan. Oh, I would see you just stole my answer because I was going to say Christine Baranski is my favorite Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. fine. I accept that answer. Uh, Yeah, I will say um, I don't spend any time outside of the hours I am getting Mm -hmm. paid to do this thinking about any of the Chris's or watching any of their okay. movies, frankly. Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, Joan, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you, guys. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we're breaking down the presidential debate. We know it's going to be bad, but at least it'll be Friday. And Disney, remember, if someone named Shonda Rhimes asks you for a Disneyland ticket, maybe just give it to her. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. 
Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Minnie Driver, and on my podcast, Mini Questions, I put together a little experiment. I ask trailblazers across different disciplines the same seven questions. Questions about the inflection points in their life, what they like least about themselves, and what relationship has defined love for them. This season, I'm coming back with new trailblazers, like Blondie vocalist Debbie Harry. I did have a revelation. It was at CBGB's, as a matter of fact. I was waiting for the audience to give it to me, give it me. Then I realized that I had to make them. I had to command them. Artist and creative juggernaut Goldie. And I walk up to the mountain, I hike up. Just being in that environment and seeing life and death in front of you, right in front of you. And I go up there and scream and cry and, and, and laugh. And I find that being the happiest. And many more. Join me as we continue this exploration on season two of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. And now that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now.